Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Welcome to the Avid Technology Podcast with me, Ryan Morn. So today we've got uh, Manfred Limbrunner from Proton Motor, who are a world famous, I would say, developer of fuel cells and fuel cell systems. Um, a little bit unusually, the company has a headquarter in Newcastle, which is where Avid is based as well. Um, but actually, the, the operating business is is not in Newcastle. And uh, I'll before I start telling everyone all about it, I'm going to get Manfred to introduce himself, and then he can tell us uh, more about Proton Motors. So, uh, welcome to the show, Manfred. Thanks very much for agreeing to join us today. Yeah, thank you very much, Ryan, for the opportunity to introduce uh, Proton Motor. Uh, to your listeners. So uh, probably then I start a, a couple of words to to, uh, to me, to my person. So yeah, my name is Man- Manfred Limbrunner. I'm uh, 50 years old now, um, not not uh, for uh, 50 years for, I think a little less than one, one month still to go. Um, so, and I'm with Proton Motors since nine, uh, 2000, uh, November 2000. So it will be my 20th uh, anniversary this year. And I'm a mechanical engineer from the background. Uh, so I started out as a product a project manager, mechanical designer, system engineer. I also was a product manager for two years uh, uh, between 2008 and 2010. Uh, from 2010 until 2016, I was also the CTO of the company uh, for two years, also in charge uh, of the COO posi- position. And then uh, end of 2016, Proton Motor restructured itself because uh, our goal was to be uh, uh, technologically uh, the leader or yeah. one of the leaders. And we saw that uh, before 2016, there was was no market really available uh, or the markets really changed from stationary to forklifts to ships. Um, so and we said, we don't chase these small markets. We develop, we concentrate on developing. And as soon as we see that the market is ramping up, we restructure ourselves. And this was uh, end of 2016, uh, beginning of 2017. Uh, And since 2017, I'm now head of sales and marketing. And since uh, 2018, I'm also a member of the board of the holding of Proton Motor. This is the Proton Motor Power Systems PLC, which is, as you mentioned, based in Newcastle upon Tyne. Oh, that's fantastic! It is. Uh, it's interesting that you know New- Newcastle has something of a reputation for um, being a bit of a hub for clean energy um, and power electronics and, and things like that. But it's really a it's it's a sort of an interesting twist of history how Proton ended up with a with a headquarters in Newcastle. I think a lot of people probably wouldn't actually even uh, even realize that uh, that that's the case. I, I think it's uh, still not um, uh, uh, to everybody clear how, how the structure of Proton Motor and Proton Motor Power Systems PLC is. Maybe I can give you a, a bit of a background uh, how, how this happened because uh, Proton Motor wanted to go uh, um, public around 2002, 2003. That w- was the start of the discussion. Yeah. And then there was, uh, of course, we wanted to, we first looked for the, for the German marketplace uh, for Frankfurt. But unfortunately, um, there was uh, the struggle with the with the new market, uh, and then the stock uh, went down in in Frankfurt and in Germany, and uh, it still seemed uh, quite interesting in in London. So this was why there was the decision to go public in London. But in order to go public in London, uh, you had uh, you needed to have um, a company in the UK. And because uh, the first chairman was uh, coming uh, from uh, uh, Newcastle, uh, John Wall by the name, uh, uh, the the company Proton Power Systems TLC at that time um, 
was based in, in or is based in, in Newcastle. And we changed the name of Proton Power Systems PLC to Proton Motor Power Systems PLC beginning of this year because nobody understood that uh, these two companies belong together. Yeah, because effectively the, the structure is quite simple, isn't it? You have a the holding company, which is, is listed, and then you have the operating company, yes. which is very common. I mean, Avid has this same structure, um, although we're not listed, but we have a, a holding company and the trading company. So it's very, very common okay. for businesses like us uh, okay. to do that. It just... Uh, yeah, it's it's excellent. Um, the, 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 you chose Newcastle to do that, and uh, and have, have maintained a uh, maintained that and and until today. That's uh, it's a really great connection. So, just um, moving on, then I, I think you know Proton's been um, developing fuel cells and fuel cell systems for for, for many many years. But it'd be really uh, great just to get a, a, a deep picture of of what it is that that you guys are doing. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, like you said, we started already very early. Uh, so we, we started in 1994 already with the development of fuel cell stacks. This was not done under the roof of Proton Motor. Proton Motor, uh, this was uh, uh, the mother company, so to say, of Proton Motor called Magnetmotor. And Magnetmotor uh, did already in the 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, pure electric drivetrain, and they the owner said ah, fuel cells could be a very interesting choice also for the future. And it's not very um, hard to develop, he said at that time. It's like folding boxes. So he started with the development <laughs> of the fuel cells. Um, and uh, so this was the first stack was a one kilowatt air-cooled fuel cell stack. And then in 1998, Proton Motor um, was founded uh, in, in, uh, in Starnberg at that time. And since then, we develop our own fuel cell stacks and we moved away from air-cooled fuel cells to liquid-cooled fuel cells uh, because we say we want to go in the high-power sector and air-cooled fuel cells uh, uh, have a limit at around uh, 3 to 5 kilowatts electric. Yeah. Um, and that's why we started to develop the, um, the liquid-cooled fuel cell stacks. We started in 2000. At that time already, there was Volvo Bus for a couple of years, uh, a shareholder of yeah. Proton Motor at that time. Um, and we, we have been um, a leader in a couple of, uh, of uh, applications. So we've built already the first world uh, forklift in, in 2000, which was operated for two years in, in, on the Munich airport. We built two more of them in 2005, 2006, but unfortunately in Europe, there was no interest in forklift trucks. Um, from the OEM side, or the, there was no funding implemented. Uh, so unfortunately, this again went out of Germany and Europe uh, to the US. And yeah. uh, Plug Power is doing what we did already in 2000. Yeah. Uh, we did all, also one of the or the world's first uh, uh, ship uh, driven purely on on fuel cells. This was operated in Hamburg uh, um, for, from 2010 until 2014. We transported uh, in this time uh, more than 50,000 passengers in, in regular transport. We also had, uh, I think, the world's first um, uh, light duty truck, uh, which we uh, did with uh, Smith Electric Vehicles, uh, which you might know. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they're based in Newcastle or have been based in Newcastle as well. Yeah, yeah. Former so, um, business, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we we uh, we did a lot of things maybe too early, but now we see that the market is ramping up and uh, we think that we have uh, um, the biggest uh, fuel cell stack with graphite bipolar plates worldwide, which has a couple of unique um, uh, uh, features as well. And we concentrate also just on uh, graphite bipolar plate stacks because the metal bipolar plate stacks are uh, more for passenger car sector because they have uh, you can build stacks with very high power density but uh, uh, reduced lifetime right. and we concentrate on markets with long lifetime expectations above 20,000 operating hours and uh, also concentrating where the the markets need uh, high system efficiencies ah okay interesting so just, I think probably for the benefit of the listeners, um, I know, well, and, and for me to be honest, because I'm a bit of a, a, a fuel cell Luddite, but the, I do know there's lots of different kinds of fuel cells. And, and would it be possible for you just to sort of run us through 
what the options are, what, what sort of different flavors fuel cells come in? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, so let's say that there, um, they talk about PEM, maybe if your listeners have heard of them, yeah. uh, it's, uh, and these PEM fuel cells um, also, there are two parts of them. It's low temperature PEM fuel cells and high temperature PEM fuel cells. So we are doing low temperature PEM fuel cells. They are operated uh, with pure hydrogen. Uh, high temperature PEM fuel cells, they operate as the name uh, also suggests on a on higher temperature level. Yeah. Um, they can run, let's say, with, with some ingredients on hydrogen that might poison the low temperature PEM fuel cells. Um, so for example, if you run also with uh, Reformat or something, but it seems that the high temperature PEM fuels have a physical limit uh, at five kilowatts electric power. And also you cannot uh, operate them as, as far as I know, as dynamic as you can do this with the low temperature PEM fuel cell that we are concentrating on. And then there are a couple of other uh, PEM, uh, fuel cells as well. Um, there is, uh, let's say these, um, fuel cells that run on very high uh, temperatures above 300 uh, degrees Celsius, like SOFC fuel cells. But these are fuel cells that you more or less have to operate continuously. You should not shut them down too often. Right. Uh, so it's more or less like a, a base load. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and we are concentrating on the PEM fuel cells as they are uh, pure emission free. You yeah. can run them very dynamic, um, and and this is for for these markets of transportation, also for stationary markets in uh, where you need to to switch on, switch off for base loads or for for, for um, I don't know what you call it in English, uh, in, in for grid stabilization needs. Um, there, these these are the benefits for the for the fuses that we are doing. Okay, right, got it. So, so you're in the. Um very clearly in in the PEM camp and on the low temperature side. And it, I think a lot of people think that, that kind of fuel cells, it's just one thing, but there's there's huge differences in the technology and in the, the application of, of the, the varying different kinds of types of, of, of fuel cells, which have all been around for, for quite a long time now as well. So yes. um, they're fairly mature and well understood technologies. So in, in terms of low temperature PEM, could you just walk us through how they work? So what's the principle of operation? Yeah, well, the principle is basically very easy. <laughs> I mean, you have, you, have, you have a membrane that you build into the, the, the fuel cells uh, and more or less what you do, you bring to one side of the membrane uh, air and on the other side, you bring hydrogen and uh, through the chemical reaction, uh, um, more or less uh, you have a catalyst like platinum you, you uh, generate electricity, heat, uh, and water. More, more or less, that's it. And because of water, uh, of, of the heat, you also have to cool the, the fuel cell. I mentioned that we do liquid-cooled fuel cells. So you, you bring uh, a liquid uh, inside uh, the fuel cell stack to cool down uh, the fuel cell. That, that's basically it. Now, of course, there is a more complex um, explanation what will happen inside but uh, I think that yeah, the basic yeah. principles should work. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful in their uh, in their simplicity, and and of course in the past, you know, f fuel cells have um, found lots of different applications. I, I think in transport there, there was a, a big sort of surge of fuel cell interest and development, um, but the, but there is a bit of a, a thing now where battery technology has come along. Um, and is, has developed to a point where, you know, some applications where fuel cells were thought to, you know, going to be like the major um, energy vector or energy conversion device, they're not, um, mm -hmm. they're not anymore. You know, so what what sort of applications are you uh, are you finding that that your fuel cells are well suited to? 
Uh, well, the markets we're addressing, I, I mean, we, we say we have a very strong uh, uh, a broad market approach. We say stationary, mobile, uh, rail and maritime. But we, like I said in the beginning, we concentrate on markets where, where our fuel cells fit to. Um, and it's, uh, let's say, um, I, don't, I don't see that, uh, you know, maybe I, I come a little bit away from, from your question, but I, I think a big problem is that in the past, it was always divided between batteries and fuel cells. Yeah. And, but both are, let's say, electric devices. And both help to overcome their specific problems. Uh, um, like uh, batteries are very good in peak power demands, uh, but are heavy uh, and uh, need long recharging times. Yeah. Whereas fuel cells plus hydrogen, uh, they can be refilled very, very quickly. Uh, and are in terms of weight uh, lighter than than the, than the batteries, and since 20 years or 24 years, uh, we say uh, it's a good combination. So it's not the question batteries or fuel cells, but it's a combination, and both could help uh, to 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 enter into the markets. Of course, I think that for for passenger cars. Um, the batteries are currently the state of choice. Um, uh, it's uh, the fuel cells and the battery in the passenger car sector will still need a, a bit of time to uh, increase the numbers. Yeah. Also related to the to this um, uh, uh, um, the recharging or refilling infrastructure. So on the transport sector, I think there's now. Um, everybody consent over over all uh, the OEMs uh, that uh, let's say um, uh, trucks, buses, and uh, 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 commercial vehicles, so to say, um, the best choice are fuel cells plus plus a battery. Uh, on passenger car sector, it will be first batteries, but I think also in the future, uh, 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 fuel cells will take a part in in this in this uh, sector as well. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So but do... what we always also see, sorry if, if I interrupt you, no, because no, no. everybody is talking about um, the mobile market. Yeah. Uh, but we see that the stationary market is even as interesting as the mobile market. But it's always, you know, everybody's looking on the, especially in Germany, as because of, uh, of course, we have a, a very strong passenger car market. But the stationary market is getting very, very interesting because now more or less everything runs runs toward hydrogen as an energy storage um, uh, um, uh, yeah. uh, media, more or less. And then there is more or less uh, the, the side also that you need to um, uh, um, uh, uh, bring the grid uh, back to stability because we shut down uh, the, the uh, nuclear plants, coal plants. And so there's now currently a lot of interest on the stationary as well. Okay, so so you you're talking about um, generating electrical power for the the main grid um, yeah. by by using fuel cells. I guess that allows um, sort of demand uh, matching of demand to generation from renewable energy quite well. Yes. Yes, and and also we see um, increasing interest coming up for let's say energy autonomy, if that's okay. the right phrase. Yeah. I don't know in, in English. Yeah, but for example, we have um, there are two houses built with our fuel cells in in Switzerland and in, in Italy, yeah. where they in, in included an electrolyzer um, producing hydrogen from solar or from from hydropower. Uh, storing this and in if there is less solar or less uh, hydropower to this house uh, then they use the hydrogen to completely um, uh, electrification of the house and also heating of the houses and we see currently a lot of interest coming up also for smaller industrial buildings and a lot of uh, 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 private people are asking us, but the, the thing is that we are not a, a B2C company. So this, um, so we unfortunately cannot, cannot serve them. And what do you think the advantages for that kind of application of a, of a fuel cell compared to, you know, I guess it would, you'd be up against sort of um, grid storage batteries or, or some other kind of generation. What, what is it that fuel, why, why are people looking at fuel cells for that kind of thing? 
because um, uh, you get into a hydrogen uh, storage system much more energy than you do in a battery storage system. If you look for, for uh, let's say, um, uh, residential houses or, or industrial buildings. Right. So it's just as simple as that. You, you can get more power in. Yeah. Um, yeah. More energy. Mm. Yeah. Energy, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Get my uh, get my terminology right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in 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 the mobile side, it, it would seem that it's kind of the, those the more kind of heavy duty um, applications where they've got a big energy requirement. And and you're saying yes. I think quite critically, you said um, a, a fuel cell plus a battery. Um, so where where the two can work in tandem, and, and the battery yep. can do some of the work, and the the fuel cell provides. Uh, kind of base in yes is that um so for proton is is it is it um the mobile application still still a significant part of what you're doing as well yeah it's a it's a significant part for us um for example we we have orders for for equipping uh, garbage collecting trucks uh, we we talk to uh to bus manufacturers we talk to uh, truck manufacturers um it's it's sometimes a little bit slower uh, as the stationary market it seems especially when you talk to, to bigger oems mm. uh, so it's it's very it's it's much slower than on the stationary market and uh, we, we see that let's say what's happening in china is much much faster on 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 the on the uh, uh, automotive market I, I mean i've traveled 10 years ago already uh, to, to China and quite regularly to China. And it was quite clear already 10 years or 11 years ago that China is going in the direction of, of fuel cells. Um, and we have to be careful now that we don't lose um, the technology again to, to the Asian market, which would be a disaster because the supply chain of the fuel cells is also a very big part, which we would have currently still in Europe. Um, but uh, if we if you're not fast enough, um, then we could lose this as well to the to the Asian markets. Right. Uh, yeah. And well, that's that's one of the, the sort of challenges at present with the uh, with batteries, isn't it? That you know, it's often sort of said that um, you know the the uh, particularly the Chinese have, have done a lot to um, sort of take advantage of of their early adopter position and um, and really kind of seize the supply chain for for batteries and and uh, yeah. the kind of key elements that go into yeah. battery systems so yeah fuel fuel cells uh, i guess provide a, the opportunity to be um, to be independent of that yeah i mean you know batteries we have i think in europe we have a couple of or let's say a lot of battery module producers but they are more or less buying all the same um, battery cells. There's just a, a couple of battery cell manufacturers. Yeah. Most of them are based in, in, in Asia, to my knowledge, but still a battery uh, uh, system is not as complex as a fuel cell system. Yeah? So there is much more supply chain related to a fuel cell than to a battery. What, what do you think it will be, you know, in in the future for for, for your um, your fuel cells, where where do you see the, the kind of main markets coming? What's what's the main main focus for development for the future? Is it is it predominantly stationary or predominantly mobile or, or a real mix of both? This is this is um, let's say a bit of a, of a struggle that we're facing, or a bit of um, uh, of strategy. Also, what you have to do because we see that currently, of course, the markets uh, are ramping up very broadly. Yeah, we I said uh, stationary, mobile, um, um, rail, and maritime. What we what we are looking at. Uh, also, we got requests from from the uh, from the airplane business, which we cannot do. What we try to do is that we we have let's say. Um, a, a kit developed, which is um, uh, uh, can be adapted to to most of the, to all of these markets that we're addressing. Uh, so we we don't need to develop um, uh, 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 standard products for every market. Uh, so we can relatively easily adapt it to especially customer needs. Uh, maybe a, a word to the strategy of Proton Motor, because we see that uh, without any, let's say, partners uh, for, for big fuel cell markets, uh, we will struggle. So we, we see that we will do, uh, let's say, uh, the development and the manufacturing 
of fuel cell systems of up to a certain amount, let's say 5,000 equal fuel cell units a year. That's, that's a target that we uh, have in the, in the short term currently. Um, beyond this, if we're looking also outside Europe, because we currently only focus on Europe, uh, then we're looking for, for uh, license uh, uh, manufacturers that are going to do the license manufacturing of the fuel cell systems. The stacks, we will never license. Um, so stacks uh, will then be produced in large quantity uh, uh, with joint ventures that we are going to found. And then we supply, let's say, from these joint ventures into the free market and, and into our uh, um, uh, license uh, partners. Okay, that's that's a really interesting way of overcoming uh, some of the uh, those supply chain challenges. I, I, I wonder... Um, so we've kind of, as per usual for me, we've uh, completely not following the original uh, plan that I had for questions. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> uh, it's, really, it's been really interesting. I wonder if, if we could just talk for a little bit about um, the fuel cells that, that Proton makes and, and kind of what really makes them special. So mm-hmm. in terms of, of where your kind of key technology is, um, that, that, that would be really interesting. Yeah, of course. Um, like I said, I, I mean, the PEM fuel cell stacks, more or less, uh, let's say also between all the competitors, um, the basic principles are the same. Uh, uh, we, we have uh, a special, uh, um, what makes our fuel cell stack special, or let's say the USP of our fuel cell stacks. Um, like I said, we have the, the biggest graphite fuel cell stack worldwide on the market, up to 73 kilowatts. Um, also, what, what is unique to our fuel cell stacks, because normally uh, from our competitors to our understanding, you only have one direction of, uh, of mounting them. Yeah? So you could do, let's say, either horizontally or vertically. And our fuel cell stacks are, uh, in, you can install in both directions. Uh, this is also uh, a special IP relevant issue, how we have developed this. Uh, and what is also uh, that our stacks are have a modular setup, right. so we can let's say in in from powers from two kilowatts up to seventy three kilowatts, and then also into the uh, megawatt sector, you can achieve. We can achieve this with the modular setup up of our fuel cell stacks. Right, and. It, it, it... What, what is it that allows you to um, have that flexible uh, mounting configuration? Um, you know, the, uh, um, the, the issue why, why uh, of this is how to bring out the water that you produce inside uh, the fuel cell stack. Yeah, okay. uh, so, and, and this, uh, well, I cannot go too deep in, into, the, uh, into the technology, otherwise Avid will, <laughs> will produce our stacks okay, themselves. Yeah. Yeah, but this is a, a special design that we have done on the fuel cells and also uh, which is implemented in our control strategy of the fuel cell systems, which we also develop ourselves. Um, so this um, and, and this allows us to, to offer our customers um, uh, two different ways of installing them, which gives freedom in packaging. Right. Okay. Which is it's probably quite, it's, well, that is an important feature in, uh, in, in most applications. Uh, and is it the same, basically, um, cell that's used in a, in a mobile, in a small system for mobile applications as, as you would use in a much larger system for, um, for stationary? Uh, are they essentially the same thing, but just it, you mentioned it was a modular arrangement, just kind of more of them, or, or are there some fundamental differences? Um, no, the, the fuel cell stacks are more or less currently the same. So what we did currently for the development, we, we developed, a, let's say, a multifunctional stack for all these markets, because if we develop more stacks, then we will split the, the volume as well. So the stacks are always the same. Uh, uh, and then around the stacks, uh, the balance of plant or the peripheral components are different and also the setup is different uh, uh, regarding the different applications. I mean, uh, as soon as the the market ramps up, um, then of course uh, there will be the need to develop stacks specifically for specific markets, but this will also increase um, the financial uh, needs for development. And this is uh, where we say we wait until the market ramps up because um, development has to be paid somehow from the market in the future at least. And and I know um, I mean you, you you guys are 
currently uh, developing the product. You've, you, I mean, you have you have technology that's in the field and deployed, but you're still um, continuing to do research and, and develop. What what sort of areas are you focusing on? Is it cost reduction or reliability or, or sort of fundamental performance? Um, where 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 are you uh, putting efforts to develop the product now? Yeah, let's say cost reduction, of course, we'll always look at, uh, but cost reduction is uh, a big issue is volume. Right. So, um, and basically what we, what we always say is, or what I say for a rough figure, if we ramp up from one piece to 10, 1,000 pieces, we could reduce the costs by by up to 80%. Of course, the, the price will not decrease that much because we have to develop uh, also the, the manufacturing behind it and yeah. invest into, into the manufacturing. But uh, the main focus for us is now that we say more or less we have uh, uh, we have our systems are developed and now it's going in about industrialization. So we are going looking for industrializing our fuel cells for increasing the volume. We have installed, for example, uh, automated stack manufacturing machine at Proton Motor, which was inaugurated uh, last year from the Bavarian Minister of Economics, right. which allows us to produce up to 30,000 stacks a year. Um, so, and, and this is going in the direction of industrialization. Of course, we still have a development roadmap, but uh, like I said, developments, uh, we look closely what are the market demands. Now we have to enter the markets and developments have to be paid uh by by uh, let's say winning the markets right yeah so, so, so all about then securing um more more kind of higher volume business that then can um then can pay back in in and to allow that production process to be further scaled up and yeah. it becomes quite a virtuous cycle then of more scale yeah. less yeah. costs more and yeah <laughs> and the fuel cells have to become more mature and we what we also need i, I told you that the costs are, of course, a problem or prices are a problem because we're talking about a very low volume market and fuel cells are always compared price-wise to batteries, to diesel or combustion engines. But here you com compare a, a very high volume market with a very low volume market. So uh, in order to overcome this, we, we also need, uh, let's say, political awareness and political help for market introduction, which has changed now uh, rapidly in the last 12 to 24 months uh, was was really astonishing of what happened there but uh, where we see where we say we we need um, uh, let's say market introduction help that the the end customers or or users are uh, getting the funding and not the company that are developing yeah. because otherwise we're always forced to develop something new yeah yeah it it, it is um, I mean in in general in the electrification space there's an awful lot happening at the moment um and i, I think as, as sort of regular listeners to the podcast would know i do see fuel cells as being a key part of of the electrification landscape i i, I fully agree with your earlier comments it's not a competition between batteries and fuel cells the two yes. can uh, can complement each other very very nicely but um yeah the last kind of 12 or 24 months there's various things happened around the world with different new regulations um yeah. which is, is driving more electrification activity. And, and there's been some pretty big movements on the fuel cell side. Um, yeah. So the, the, I think, firstly, with um, the, there's an American company called Nikola Trucks, um, and they've they've obviously been in the press quite a lot recently. Um, yeah. Big joint venture with um, with our CNH, Aveco, um, yeah. for fuel cell trucks globally. And then more recently, so like in the last few weeks, uh, was it Volvo and Daimler? Um, yes announced i think daimler's was a bit sort of double-edged in that they am i right in thinking they announced they were stopping for cars but putting all their efforts into fuel cells for trucks was that kind of yes yeah yeah i, I think uh was uh, one one week ago or something they announced that the uh the, the this uh, g class uh, with the fuel cell uh now they 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 uh, they stopped and they're looking for the for the for the trucks and I think they bring into this joint venture the, the IP that they have developed the last 30 years or something. And Volvo brings in more or less uh, cash. Right. Yeah. And do you, so do you see developments like that as a, as a positive in, in your space? Or is it um, are, are these kind of like big guys coming along competing with what you have been doing? Is it 
No, I think I think it's a it's a very good sign. Of course, this will increase, um, let's say, the uh, the interest in fuel cells. Of course, there will be more competition on the market, but competition also helps to uh, to increase um, uh, uh, the speed and 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 decrease the prices. Uh, and we see that um, I mean. All these big OEMs, of course, they 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 also have struggles because they they have they facing currently a lot of different uh, technology tasks. So they need uh, some some companies uh, that are uh, developed or have developed the com uh, the uh, uh, um, the technology. And I also th think that there are niche markets. Uh, what uh, uh, big OEMs will not not develop their technology for. They're looking for the mass markets and they cannot develop them everything for themselves. So we would be an let's say an, a good or even ideal partner for a big OEM that uh, needs uh, the technology and needs a good uh, uh, technology uh, development company. Uh, it's I guess interesting how you know the sort of Nikola model. They they they've. They've launched a fuel cell truck, but they they are bringing the fuel cell technology in from uh, from a third party. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think yeah, I think you know, rightly point out uh, Volvo and Daimler kind of trying to work together, but also using technology from outside as well. Yeah, it, it uh, for, for me it will be interesting to see because I I know of course um, uh, Nicola um, they work together with Bosch as well. Bosch mm -hmm. um, has uh, I don't know a couple of of months ago. Um, uh, bought a license from from PowerCell. PowerCell is doing uh, metal bipolar plate stacks, in our opinion, more more or less for passenger cars. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what from our discussions with bigger OEMs uh, doing uh, trucks, um, they also tell us there will be in the future different specifications. So I think it will not be a fuel cell system fitting for trucks for uh, passenger cars for buses or yeah. for ships so um there will be different technologies and uh, yeah. of course we understand that currently uh, um, uh, the, the passenger car uh, fuel cell systems try to get into these early markets yeah uh, uh, but in the future there, there will be different uh, different uh, uh, strategies i always say basically nobody builds into a, a an MAN truck, a Porsche uh, a combustion <laughs> engine, uh, yeah. even it would maybe fit from uh, power-wise. Yeah, this is you know, something that people, I, th I think, very often overlook, that there's a huge difference between the operating duty cycle requirements of, of passenger vehicles, yeah. uh, even, even working passenger vehicles, so a taxi, for example, at the very extreme end of the use case, but compared to trucks and, uh, and ships, where the, the life cycles, you know, tens of thousands of hours, um, yes. where a, a typical passenger vehicle might be 2,000 or 3,000 hours yes. life, design life, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a huge difference. You can't, um, and in the early day, even in the early days of, of kind of hybrid trucks and buses, a lot of people tried yeah. to use small passenger vehicle engines uh, and, you know, as, as the generator, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that was... They, they kind of were great while they worked, but um, that very quickly stopped working because they're just not designed to to, to operate uh, for yeah, such yeah. a long time. But it, it seems it's always tried. As soon as there's a new technology up coming up, um, um, these these mistakes are made over and over again. <laughs> yeah. and, and then they, they see, OK, uh, we have to separate the technologies. Yeah, and, and really the focus for the heavy duty is always going to be uh, total cost of ownership over the life. Yes. So that yes. means you're basically trying to design the product to last the life yes. of the yeah. the application. Yeah, and, and the, that's what what we see because our we say our stacks lifetime above twenty thousand operating hours with graphite bipolar plate stacks. Uh, the metal bipolar plate stacks we what we see because we also look into into this is six thousand operating hours, which is quite enough for a passenger cars like like you said yeah uh, interesting um yeah yeah it's, it's, it's very very different um very different requirements in in those spaces and even within those spaces so we see in heavy duty you know some applications where it's 50 60 thousand hours life cycle requirement uh some applications where it's it's ten thousand hours yeah. you know d it depends if it's a medium duty truck or 
uh, compact off-highway machine or a, a, yeah. a very large um, truck or, or machine, you know, it's yeah. it's, it's different. Uh, it's different again within those um, within those sectors. Yes. So do, do you think um, then? So so with with all that in mind, uh, you know, I guess clearly, you basically what you're saying is that fuel cells, in your opinion, have a have a place in the market. But it won't just be one fuel cell technology. There's there's basically space in the market for for lots of of different uh, types of fuel cells based on the on the use case. Is that am I right in understanding that? Yes, that's that's um, that's what I you summarized it very perfectly. Okay, good. I've been I've been paying attention then. <laughs> <laughs> or my explanation hopefully was not too bad. <laughs> yeah, no, your explanation's been uh, been fantastic. Um, so, so one of the side of the, I mean, we, we talked about renewables and kind of generating hydrogen um, off the back of renewables in in that way. That that is a big issue, isn't it? The actual where the hydrogen comes from in in, in the fuel cell system and kind of getting that um, that part of the the energy chain right. Yeah. Um, so, what what are your thoughts in terms of? Um, hydrogen generation and 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 what is happening in on that side there's currently a lot of happening i mean there's uh, also on on european side there's a lot of happening to come to uh, renewable hydrogen yeah? mm. so uh, i mean uh, it, the discussions the last years were always on the energy sector how to store um, regenerative uh, uh, energy yeah? from solar or for wind and uh, more or less now everything is running in the direction of hydrogen. So, and there are big efforts to to large scale electri electrolyzing systems. Right. Um, also, there is huge efforts going in the direction of um, building up pipeline systems, or let's say um, coming from using using uh, um, uh, pipeline systems and uh, uh, bringing them to hydrogen systems. There's also in, in UK, I'm, I'm aware of the Leeds 21 project, which is uh, looking for something like this. Right. Um, and 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 this is the goal where to go. Of course, uh, currently we have hydrogen, which is let's say gray hydrogen, which is cheap. Uh, so you you need to to use this and come step by step to a green uh, hydrogen community. And I think they they're talking about a, a couple of colors. Yeah, they say gray, they say blue, and they say green. Um, <laughs> But but more or less you you have you, you cannot say I, I I just do a switch from from totally gray and now totally green so there will be intermediate steps I mean on the bat on the passenger car sector with with batteries also it's uh, I'm I'm sure not all of the uh, battery electric vehicles run on pure green uh, electricity there yeah. will be some gray or black electricity also uh, stored in, in the batteries yeah yeah no it's it, it... That's definitely a big challenge, uh, depending on on how your your power is uh, is generated. So, the 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 electrolyzer generating green hydrogen is, I mean, it, in in some ways it seems like a fairly simple um, process because the the process you explained earlier of how you generate electricity from yeah. um, from, from hydrogen it's essentially the the reverse of that process, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes, more or less, it's it's uh, the opposite of the of the fuel cell. And is it the same kind of technology in an electrolyzer? Yeah, basically, yes. Yeah, basically, what you what you do, you bring electricity in the into the into the electrolyzer, and then it splits, uh, and you, you bring in uh, water into electrolyzer, and then the electrolyzer splits uh, the water into oxygen and hydrogen. Easy as that. And it, on for electrolyzer technology, is that something where you would use a low temperature PEM or is it more kind of uh, some, some sort of other um, technology that, would, that is more applicable for electrolyzers? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not the complete electrolyzer uh, uh, um, uh, know-how too much, yeah, but, but let's say as far as I know, we're talking also on PEM electrolyzers like, like our PEM fuel cells. Yeah. And then there are alkaline electrolyzers. And as far as I know, the PEM electrolyzers also are, uh, uh, they can be run very dynamically and the alkaline electrolyzers have to run continuous. 
Right. And I guess the, the, the it depends, again, as we've been talking about, depends on the application because there's some cases where continuous might be um, okay, but in a lot of cases, if you're trying to kind of peak shave off renewables and store, you, you're going to need to have a system that can respond dynamically to the yeah. um, to, to green electricity being available. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's, for example, in Germany, there's the discussion, you know, we have all these windmills and we have, it's, it's called uh, a renewable energy law or something like this, if you translate it into English, which runs out now. And now the discussion is uh, how, if, if they will uh, 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 um, rebuild uh, or tear down the, the wind parks or they take it off the grid. Uh, and connect to electrolyzers, uh, um, and 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 uh, either way, if it's like you said, running continuously, if mm. it's completely off the grid, then it more or less runs to continuously. Or if I have an access power in inside the grid that I want to use, then I need uh, a system that I can switch on and switch off. Oh wow! So just just tell me a little bit more about that. So so there's in there's wind farms in Germany. Is it because they're generating too much power, so they they don't need the electrical power or yeah, basically, um, uh, if I bring it in simply words, you know, this this renewable energy law was installed, I don't know, uh, 10 years or even longer time ago. Yeah. And basically, they guaranteed uh, the operators, if you bring, if you build or operate a wind farm, you get money for uh, for uh, uh, the wind farm, even if you have to shut off the wind farm, ah, because okay. the grid cannot take it. Yeah? Yeah. And now this runs out and now um, the business cases are changing. Uh, and now they they looking what to do. Ah, okay, so, so before renewable energy, you know, we were obviously paying as as countries and as economies, we are paying for either uh, gas uh, generation, um, so gas-fired power stations, or in, in some cases even coal-fired power stations to sit kind of uh, idling away to, to, yeah. to provide that response capacity on the on the grid. Um, so, so that has always been a thing um, in, you know, large-scale grid systems. You need some spare capacity to, yes. to, to help the system. So I know um, some of these payments to wind farms have been quite controversial, but I, I don't think people realize that that's just in, in big energy systems. That's if you don't have a way of storing the energy, yes. that's how you have to do it. Yeah. Um, so now I guess the, 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 the option there is uh, we either have to shut the wind farm down, which is not ideal because we're not going to earn revenue, or we, we put the wind energy in into some sort of energy storage so we can store it up and sell it when it sell that energy back into the grid when it is required yeah for example or you can then sell also the hydrogen i mean uh, for example in in the netherlands there are uh, uh, there's a political decision to come away from uh, from natural gas and what they are planning to do i, I think they're currently setting up already also this is big offshore wind farms where they have electrolyzer hubs also offshore and then bring the hydrogen uh, by pipeline uh, on onshore and then either uh, distribute the, the hydrogen also by trucks for, for I don't know, let's say um, uh, automotive or mm. transport uh, transport sector, or they use it for, for grid stabilization, for electrifying and, uh, and, and stabilizing, stabilizing the grid in, uh, if there is need for this. Wow, that's, um, I, I hadn't heard of that, that sort of project. That's fascinating. Um, I have to do some more, uh, some more research into things like that. So, so it's it's clear that there's a lot of kind of work going on and and and, and potential, um, and and I guess from from Proton's point of view, this must be one of the most exciting times um, for, for the business in terms of that clarity on um, or starting to get that clarity on the on a potential large scale end market for for your products. Yes, that th this is really currently where we see a lot of interest coming to us, mm -hmm. uh, which we also have to see that we to meet this interest we have to grow. Yeah, we we currently employing people again. Yeah. Uh, we we ramp up the capacity because we see there is increasing interest and increasing numbers of orders coming now to us. And and so just just to finish off because um, we we're about out of time. You, in your um, sort of opinion, Manfred, what what is it that's kind of what what are, what are you most excited about that you've got coming in the in the next year or so? 
well, you know, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm astonished how the last 12 months increased. So it's it's. Uh, if it goes on like this, or it, it, it's it's like uh, Corona with Corona currently. You know, it's 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 uh, increasing every day, every day. Uh, so it, this is really very interesting for me how to see and what I'm looking for uh, and what 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 is uh, a very interesting because we we currently have a couple of discussions with. Uh, strong partners uh, also we're talking to strategic partners licensees and this is what i'm really looking for that we have a, a really or some really strong partners that help us to uh, to to go into market because we alone at proton motor we cannot handle the market demand great uh, fantastic uh, I, I wish you the absolute best of luck with that it's uh yeah, Pro Proton's a business I've been aware of for a long time because of that Newcastle connection, which is, uh, you know, an, an unusual but uh, but really fantastic to have. So I really do wish you all, all the best with that. I think, um, you know, what you've done over the last 20, 25 years has, has been uh, been amazing. Um, so to, to kind of be in the right place now to, to capitalize on that is uh is is excellent and a true uh you know it's credit to to you and to the rest of the team at um at proton yeah thank you very much ryan and it, it was a really pleasure really pleasure uh, talking to you um also somebody coming from our home city so to say <laughs> so and thank you very much for the, for this opportunity and the very nice and interesting talks to you so that's all we've got time for today that was a fas fascinating discussion with manfred uh, a bit of a deep dive on on Fuel cell systems and Proton uh, and Proton's technology. A fascinating company, obviously, with that really interesting little link back to uh, sunny northeast of England and, and Newcastle, which I bet many people did not realize that uh, Newcastle had its very own uh, fuel cell company. But a little interesting uh, twist of, of the past there. So I really hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, don't forget to uh, hit like, uh, share this show, uh, leave us a comment, some fantastic comments coming in. I, I really appreciate that. It, it helps us um, greatly in terms of uh, guiding the, the content for the show. Um, you can ask us questions if, if there's a particular topic that you'd like to know more about or, or something that you'd like us to cover. Um, you can send us your questions. Um, so that's all we've got time for today. I really do look forward to speaking to you again soon.